0: You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. And well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Glad you're here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I serve as one of our pastors here at Redeemer. I get the privilege to lead us in vision and preaching. And uh, what an exciting day. Chris mentioned this at the beginning, but it really is a every day, every Sunday is a privilege to gather with God's people around God's Word, to remember Jesus' transforming grace that's always available to us, that we access by faith. Um, it's always a good day to gather together with God's people in the church, but today's especially exciting for so many reasons, getting to uh, introduce to you new people that God's bringing to this church, to join this family, to use their gifts and be a part of, of this local expression of the church. And uh, he mentioned earlier having our friends from Guatemala uh, and uh, the, board, the board from Champions Action here with us today. That's a gift as well. We you know, we're committed to three things as a church, to making disciples, to planting churches, and to loving the least of these in our city. And we want to do that here and, and near and far. And so Champions is a, is a way we're excited to partner with those guys and what they're doing to, to serve the least of these and um, under-resourced uh, folks in Guatemala. So glad to have you guys with us. And, and then we're commissioning a church plant today, which is, uh, you know, just kind of a small little thing. So yeah, yeah, we're, <clears throat> we're commissioning a church. So we're excited about that. Um, If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open to the book of Acts. Now I want to just I just want to say this up front. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, so just get ready. I want to hear like some Bible pages turning. Um, We're going to cover a lot of ground. We've been in this series that we started the year in that we've called Blueprint. Blueprint. Um, Church as it should be. And what we've tried to do as we've started this new year is just say, um, kind of go back to the to where it all began, really, the church, where it all began in Jerusalem in the first century. Recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, we have the risen Jesus, which is, you know, a a pretty incredible claim. We have the risen Jesus who appears to his disciples over 40 days. He instructs them. He teaches them about the kingdom of God. He basically lets them know that God's mission in the world is continuing, that he will be at the Father's right hand, and that his good news, this event of the gospel, this what God has done through the life, death, resurrection of his Son— and the salvation offered in the gospel needs to go forth in the world. And then we see the, uh, he tells his disciples to go and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost as was promised by the prophets that the Spirit would come with the Messiah. And the Spirit comes and this remarkable event happens that we call Pentecost where the, the disciples are proclaiming the good news of Jesus risen in multiple languages, people are hearing the gospel in their native language. And the text tells us that 3,000 people are saved. And then we get to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which is what we've been looking at for week 5 now, where we are told what happens. What is the result of these people putting their faith in this risen Jesus? They're trusting that he is truly God-sent Messiah. He is the Savior. He's the one that all the prophets have been talking about. He is the one that all of human history has been pointing us towards. He is God's solution for this problem and suffering and death that we are all plagued with. Jesus, God's Messiah, they trust him, they believe, they're saved. And the text tells us in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, that they begin this common life together. 3,000 people begin this common life together. And Michael Goheen, who's a New Testament scholar, says that that text, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is the blueprint... For the church in all times and all places. And so that's what we've been looking at. What does it look like for us today in suburban Austin in the 21st century to build a church, to be a church that's built on that blueprint? And we've said so far that it means four things. Number one, that we are a church who is devoted to Jesus. Acts 2.42 tells us that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which begs the question, what were the apostles' teaching? Well, we know that they were very clearly teaching about Jesus. They were teaching, what does it mean that he lived and that he died on a Roman cross? What did that accomplish for us? What was God doing in that real event? What does his resurrection mean for us? That they were teaching about Jesus. They were also teaching not just what the gospel means for our lives, but what does it mean to live out the new life of Jesus? What we say here, to learn and live the way of Jesus, to live into this new resurrection life. What kind of people does the gospel create? And so we want to be a church that's devoted to Jesus. We want you to know that as you're here in this church family, that we are all about Jesus. That's what we say when we say we're a gospel-centered church. We're not about law or legalism or religious performance. We are about the transforming grace that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we want to be about that in every level, in our relationships with one another. In this gathering, you're going to hear about Jesus and what he's done for us and for our lives. We want to be about that in our gospel communities. We are devoted to Jesus. The second thing that we've seen as we've, as we've looked at Acts 2, 42 is that the blueprint tells us that the church is a people, right? So we're not just devoted to Jesus, but because of Jesus and what he's done for us, we have this common faith. We're devoted to one another. And it's not just any kind of people. It really functions like a family. There's unity in generosity, even in diversity. The amazing thing about Acts chapter 2 is that we have people from all different backgrounds and walks of life that are coming together and are learning how to follow Jesus together as a people. And so we want to be a church that takes seriously knowing one another and sharing our lives together and following Jesus in community. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a lone ranger Christian. There's just no concept of that. There's no such thing in the New Testament as an unchurched Christian. That would have made no sense in the paradigm in the first century world. The church is a people. We have all things in common and we share with one another when others are in need. And so we want to be a unified and generous family. The third thing we've seen is that the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We do none of this in our own power based on our own personalities or giftings, but the church is fueled by the empowering presence of God's Spirit given to us. And so we want to be a church that learns to hear and follow, and listen to, and trust the Holy Spirit. And finally, last week, we looked at the church. The blueprint for the church is that the church ought to be maturing in Christ and making disciples. Acts 2.47 tells us that God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This life, they were living together, ordinary everyday life, gathering together, following Jesus in the ordinary stuff of life as they worked, as they raised kids, you know, all those things that God was adding to their number day by day because they lived this thing out. And it was real. It was real for them. And so that's the blueprint that we've seen so far. And we've said we want to be about that here at Redeemer. And here's the question that we're left with. If we're taking Acts seriously, where does it go from here? Like, where does the church go from here? We get this blueprint in Acts 2, 42 through 47. What happens next? Well, here's what happens next. What we see as we look at the rest of the book of Acts is that the church multiplies. It multiplies. It doesn't keep growing bigger in one place, it spreads, it multiplies. And so I want to say today that if we take Acts seriously, we say that the final part of the blueprint for the church, what the church ought to be about in all times and all places, is that it multiplies. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to kind of do a quick survey of the entire book of Acts, all right? So take a deep breath, open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, 8. I want to start there. This is really where it all begins in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, I want to read this for us. By the way, keep in mind that these are the words of the risen Jesus, okay? The resurrected Jesus who the, Luke chapter 24 tells us had appeared to his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God, teaching them how he is the fulfillment of all the laws and all the prophets. And then we get this command, this commission from Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, in many ways, Acts 1.8 is like a thesis statement for the rest of the book. Okay? Now, um, I want you to think back to middle school or high school English class. Okay? A thesis statement. Um, some of you are getting PTSD just thinking back to middle school. You're like, oh man. I tried to forget about that season of my life. Um, Believe it or not, I actually spent a year as a middle school English teacher. So I am a credible source when it comes to thesis statements. A thesis statement in middle school English, as you learned, is the most important statement in an essay, right? It is like the anchor point of the essay. It is the guidepost for where the rest of the written work is going to go. Everything else in the essay should riff off or expound upon or, uh, or prove the thesis statement. Now, the book of Acts is certainly not a middle school English essay. Um, it is a trustworthy and reliable account, an orderly account, we're told, written by Luke, who is an eyewitness to all of this. Luke wrote two volumes. He wrote volume one, which is his gospel account, which is a detailed, orderly, trustworthy, reliable, eyewitness, historical account of Jesus from birth to his uh, resurrection of what he did and what he taught and who he is. It's a trustworthy historical document. And Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is his second volume. It's the account of what Jesus is now continuing to do in the first century world. But now, rather than doing it uh, in his own uh, uh, earthly body, he is now doing it by the power of his spirit through his new body, his people, his disciples, his church. Jesus is continuing to work redemption in the world saving people, transforming people, and bringing the good news of the kingdom to people. But now he's doing it by his spirit, through his word. And so Luke didn't write for us a middle school English essay. He wrote for us a trustworthy, historical, reliable account of what Jesus did in the first century world through his earliest earliest followers. But it still has a thesis statement. (laughs) And it's Acts 1a. And the thesis statement's important because the rest of the narrative, the rest of the account follows this thesis statement. It starts in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I want to point your attention to Acts chapter 6-7. Flip over to Acts chapter 6-7. So we get this account, this blueprint account we've been looking at for four weeks, of the church in Jerusalem. It's getting established. But look what happens. Uh, Chapters 2 through 6 give us the details of what happens in Jerusalem through this church. And then Luke gives us kind of a summary here, at the end of cha- here in chapter 6, verse 7, look what he says. He says, the word of God continued to increase. What that means is that the message about Jesus, the gospel, is going forward. The word of God continues to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Where? Where? All right, here we go, good. In Jerusalem, remember his thesis statement? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And he even says, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That last little line is actually really cool because we're in Jerusalem. So the people who would have known about Jesus, heard about his following, known of his teachings, remembered his trial and his crucifixion, some of those same priests, these Jewish priests, now are realizing that he truly was God's Messiah. And now they are coming into this new community, this new people, the church. They are being saved and transformed by God's grace through the gospel. And so we see that the church is growing in Jerusalem. Now, chapters six through eight tell us that something begins uh, to happen. There's great persecution that sets in in Jerusalem. The powers of the day push back on this new movement, and there's great persecution that sets in. Look at um, chapter eight, verse one. We're told in, in chapter seven about Stephen, who is um, chapter seven and eight about Stephen, who's one of the young leaders in the church. He's publicly martyred. And then chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And again, remember, when we see the word church here, we're not talking about a building or an organization. What are we talking about? We're talking about this new community, this people, following this blueprint that we've been looking at for four weeks. And so they're being persecuted now. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of where? Judea and Samaria. Remember the thesis statement? Do you see this? The movement of the gospel. The gospel is spreading like a virus. Is that too soon? It might be too soon. (laughs) The gospel is spreading like a wildfire. Is that better? Spreading like a wildfire across the first century world. And God is even using persecution here to accomplish his purposes that the gospel would go forward. But as the gospel is going forward, what is happening? The church is being established in, in every place. Now, there are two things that I want to just kind of point out here as a bit of an aside. This is a high-level uh, overview, kind of big-picture stuff, but I do want to say a couple of pastoral words here just about what we see happening here. The church is spreading now, and the primary thing that's causing it to spread is persecution. So, so in other words, there are evil people. One, there's, there's Satan, God's real enemy, who's opposed to all this, and then there are evil people who are persecuting this new church. People are literally being killed because of their faith. Their lives are being uprooted and displaced, and they are suffering, and they are being scattered. They're scattered into new regions and new places. And there's two things that I want to say about that. The first is this, is that the faith of these early Christians was not fickle in any way. These were people who had experienced real, something real. They experienced transforming grace of a living God. They had a real encounter, and many of you in this room have had that same encounter. You've experienced God. You've been transformed by his grace. You've received his spirit. You say, I can't imagine my life apart from Jesus, that your faith will endure. Even the hardest things that some of you have walked through in your life, real suffering and real tragedy, yet you've never blamed God. You've clung to him because you've encountered him. He's real in your life. Amen? And this was happening in the first century world. Now, there are people who would say, well, Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. These apostles, these guys, they just kind of made this thing up to keep this thing going. Why would they do that? <laughs> I mean, they are literally, all of them end up dead except for John who dies in prison. I mean, why would they do that? These first century Christians, if they were uh, living somebody else's lie, they wouldn't suffer in this way. Their faith was not fickle. It was real. Here's the second thing that I want to say is that we see a principle here. This is an important principle for the church and for the Christian life, and that's this. Is that God, or something that's central to your Christian faith, is that God will take what others mean for evil or what Satan means for evil and he will use it for good. He will use it for good. God repurposes sufferings for his glory and for our good. I love that we just sang that song. And God is certainly doing it here. They're being persecuted. People are trying to kill them. They're trying to stop this new movement. It's a, a threat to the first century powers that be in Jerusalem. And so they're trying to stamp it out. It's, it's, it's a challenge to the status quo. People, Priests are converting to this messianic Jesus. And so they're trying to end it. And people are suffering, but God is using it for good. God is using it in order to take the gospel to new places. And we'll see that here in a minute. We'll see how that happens here in a minute. But I know that in a room this size, there's no doubt some of you who are here this morning that are experiencing real sufferings and real challenges. Maybe some of you feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath your life. There's things that you're not sure, God, what are you doing? And why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And I just want to say to you, this is central to the Christian faith, that God works for the good of his people in all things. and will even He will even take Satan intends for harm and for what others intend for harm and he will use it for his name for the advancement of his gospel and for your good and you can take that to the bank so there are believers who are being scattered into Judea and Samaria because of persecution and what do they do we'll flip over to Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9 verse 31 well they don't hide out that's what we know they 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 be the church they are the church. They do the things that we've looked at that are in the blueprint. They de- are devoted to Jesus, to one another. They're trusting the Holy Spirit. And God is adding to their number day by day. Look at Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, which is amazing, by the way. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And what does it do? It multiplies. It multiplies. The gospel is spreading and the church is multiplying. And so here's the question, here's a question that I want us to consider this morning. What is Luke trying to show us? How is the gospel spreading? Well, it's going forward in the world as uh, the, the gospel is going forward in the world as the church is multiplying. We could say it in an inverted way. As the church is multiplying, the gospel is going forward in the world. Do you see that? How does the go- What is the blueprint? What is God's plan for his church? That it would multiply. And as it multiplies, the gospel goes forward. What's God's plan for the world? That the gospel would go forward. That salvation would be extended to all peoples in all places. Well, how is it going to do that? Through the church multiplying. That's part of the blueprint. Now, something really incredible happens in the narrative in chapters 9 through 11. I'm just going to. Kind of summarize it uh, uh, really poorly uh, for you, so that that because uh, we've got a, you know a lot of we've got 28 more chapters to cover here. Um, so, something uh, incredible happens. This guy named Saul, remember him, who was ravaging the church with persecution, who executed Stephen. We just read that verse. Well, Saul actually meets Jesus. He's on his way hunting, literally hunting Christians to kill and imprison, and he meets Jesus. It's an amazing conversion story. Go read it. Jesus basically says to him, why do you persecute me? And he tells him, he essentially says, you're going to go from persecuting me to now you're going to be the primary means, the primary tool in my hand to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Remember that thesis statement? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He tells him he's going to be an instrument to the Gentiles. It's an amazing story. That happens simultaneously in chapters 9 through 11. The apostle Peter is given a vision from God that basically uh, kind of gives him the green light to go preach to the Gentiles. So this thing needs to move beyond just the Jewish community. and, and, and he's not, Jesus, Jesus isn't just the Jewish Messiah. He's the Messiah, the Savior for the whole world. And so Peter goes and preaches in a town called Joppa, and there's an amazing response. It's almost like a Gentile day of Pentecost where people respond to the preaching, and thousands are saved. And guess what happens? They don't skip the blueprint. They, they plant churches that are devoted to Jesus and to one another, that are empowered by the Spirit, that live as a family, And the gospel is going forward, planting churches, taking the gospel further and further into the first century world. Flip over to Acts chapter 13. We're almost done, I promise. Acts chapter 13, I want to read to you verses 1 through 4. By this point, there's not just a church in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, but there are churches in Gentile regions and now into like even Asia Minor now. And particularly, there's this hub church in Antioch. There's this church that starts to grow and gets really strong in this place called Antioch. Look at Acts chapter 13, 1-4. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and there were teachers. It's a strong, healthy church with a lot of leaders. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Do you see, by the way, do you see Luke's detail here? This is a reliable, trustworthy, historical account. He's like, these people were real historical figures, and here they are in the church at Antioch. And Saul, so Saul is there. There's a lot of leaders in this church. It's a strong and healthy church. Verse 2, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they are being the church. They're gathering together and praying and, and worshiping. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. I want you to notice here that as nice as it probably would be, For this church to keep all of these leaders together. To enjoy all of this strength and all of this abundance. This brotherhood and sisterhood that they no doubt have. That they continue to enjoy the strength of this healthy church in Antioch. The Holy Spirit won't let them. Won't let them hoard leaders. The Holy Spirit won't let them hoard resources. No, the Holy Spirit says, remember that calling that I gave Saul to preach to the Gentiles? Well, it's time for him to obey that calling. And he doesn't need to do it alone. Barnabas, go with him. Look at verse 3. And then after fasting and praying, they lay their hands on them and they send them off. And so being sent off by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And we're told in chapters 13 and 14 that they enter into different towns and villages in that region. That they preach the gospel. That they tell people about the risen Jesus how he is the true source of life, how they can be restored to God only through Jesus. People trust him. They call upon Jesus and they're saved. People are made new. They're called into new life with God's people. They start to establish churches in this blueprint. And it isn't easy. Paul gets rejected by many. I told Joe that a while ago. We are going to commission Joe and Redeemer Hutto earlier. And I said, hey, by the way, uh, Paul gets commissioned and sent out of the church in Antioch, and then he gets beat up. You ready for that? Um, uh, so, but, but guess what? The Lord's with him in all of it. Look at chapter 14. Seriously, look at chapter 14, verse 21 through 23. So, that, so he's preaching, and they're establishing churches in these different areas of Asia Minor. Lystra is one of those cities that he goes to Iconium look at verse 14 21 through 23 and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples they returned to Lystra to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the church strengthening the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith saying that it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God and so yeah following Jesus doesn't make your life immediately easy and squeaky clean no Life is still hard, we still live in a fallen, broken world, but we have hope, we have new life, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we have a people that we walk with, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they appoint qualified leadership with prayer and fasting, they commit them to the Lord in whom they had believed. What is the pattern that we've seen from Acts chapter 2? The gospel is proclaimed in a place and the church is established, and then from that church the gospel goes forth to the next place, into a new place. And the church is established. And then from that place, the gospel goes forth to the next place. And a healthy, Christ centered, spirit empowered, missionally focused church is established in the next place. And so on and so on. And Luke has shown us from his thesis statement on, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, Galilee, Asia Minor. And then Paul continues, the narrative continues to follow Paul. We're done. But there's a few more chapters, all the way to chapter 28, where Paul is continuing to go and preach and establish churches, trying eventually to get to Rome, which was the epicenter of the first century world. We see the pattern. We see the blueprint. It's why the gospel spreads like a wildfire in the first century, because churches were planting churches. There's a graphic I want to show you of how the gospel spread across the first century world. Do we have that? Yep, let me get out of the way. And uh, there's not much to this other than the fact that it's like historically accurate. Everywhere that's purple shows where there were Christians from uh, from basically until 600 C- uh, um, A.D. C.E., whatever is appropriate to say now. Um, and then what you see is you see the little dots. Those are all the places where churches were planted. And then you see... From those places where churches are planted, you see arrows going out. That's where those were what, they, what some scholars would call missionary centers. That's where they were sending people to new places, to the next place to plant churches. And as the churches are planted, the gospel goes forth. And as the gospel goes forth, the church is established and more churches are planted. It's a really cool picture. This is the church as it should be. Not churches hoarding resources and leaders. Not churches building bigger buildings and bigger budgets. But churches reaching and sending and multiplying. I want you to know that this is why we are so committed to church planting here at Redeemer. We want to see healthy churches in our region and every community and town in our area, in our state, and beyond. We want to see the gospel go forth. That's why we are committed to church planting because this is Jesus' mission all the way back to Acts 1.8. Now, you might not know this, but 10 years ago, we set out whether just a small core team, the Reeves family, my family, a few others, we set out 10 years ago with, with maybe a dozen people in a living room to plant a church that was built on the patterns and the principles in the book of Acts. And we have not done that perfectly by any means, but this was our aim. And part of that aim meant that our vision was to be a multiplying church. It um, means we want to keep reaching in this city, and we want to reach wider in our region through church multiplication through sending out called and qualified leaders with church planting teams to go to the next place to plant a healthy church to reach people with the gospel and by God's grace I want you to know that we have been a multiplying church over the last 10 years Um, maybe depending on when you've kind of intersected into the life of this church you may or may not know that but we have another graphic here that kind of shows what our multiplication has looked like over the last 10 years 2012 we started this church we launched with maybe 30 people at 5 p.m. in the Baca Center. <laughs> and from there, we had this vision to like be a church that's built on this blueprint and, uh, and, and multiply and send people out and plant churches. And by God's grace, you see that we've been able to plant up to this year. We'll plant our fifth and sixth church. I mean, what a cool thing that God has done. In 2015, we were able to plant, help plant a church in San Marcos, Texas, Austin. I'm sorry, Soma St. Marcus. And in 2015 as well, we were able to plant a church in Brenham called Center Church. I think we have a picture of uh, Josh and I going down to Center Church and, and, and commissioning them and praying over Kyle Ogle. Uh, Center Church is a healthy and strong church in Brenham. That was in 2015. Those are those first two dots that you see on there. In 2017 and 18, we were able to plant two more churches. But this time, we didn't just kind of uh, train up leaders and send leaders with with resources. Uh, this time, we actually sent people. We multiplied our congregation, and we sent uh, people away to plant a church in Northwest Austin. I think we have a picture of when we commissioned Randy Moore. We, we planted a church in Northwest Austin and, and commissioned Soma Austin. Uh, that, does, that building, how many of you guys were here when we were at the middle school? Yeah, that was before we were even in this building. Yeah. And we planted Soma Austin in 2000, uh, 2017, and we planted another church uh, in 2018 when we sent out Rich and Barbie Hart. Um, and I want you to know that today, we, are, we will be commissioning today our, a church for the fifth time and sending people out to plant Redeemer Huddo. And then in March, March 6th, we'll be commissioning a church for the sixth time and we'll be sending the Livingstons out with a team to plant Redeemer Huddo. And again, all of this is not about us. This is because we believe that the Bible is clear. Redeemer Georgetown, did I say that wrong? Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Chris. I saw your face. You're like... Uh, um, I, by the way, I do see your faces, so... Um, <laughs> FYI, Uh, (laughs) uh, yeah. And March 6th, we'll we'll, we'll commission for a sixth time and send people to plant a church in Georgetown. Why? This isn't about us. We believe that this is God's plan for his church. This is what the church ought to be doing in all times, in all places. It's part of the blueprint, multiplying, sending people with the gospel to the next place, to a new place. And I want to just say this. I mean, there's certainly a cost to this, okay? (laughs) Just acknowledge that. There's certainly a cost to it. I mean, it would be much more comfortable if we didn't multiply as a church. Our church would be much bigger if we didn't send people away and plant churches. This building would be much nicer if we just put all our money into this thing. Um, uh, You know, the, the ego, our ego probably would be a little more fed if we just was all about this, this thing, and not about another thing or the next place. There's certainly a cost to it, and I know that no doubt that many of you who Our partners here and love this church family have felt it. You have friends and people that you love and what we call gospel goodbyes, kind of having to kind of say that gospel goodbye. And it's not like you'll never see these people again. They're going to Hutto in Georgetown. You know, it's like, hey, let's meet for lunch. But you won't see them every week here. we won't share life with them in community like we've been doing over this season. And so there's certainly a cost to it. But I want to just say this. The cost to being a multiplying church is so worth it. It is so worth it. How do I know that? Well, one... Because there's nothing uh, that helps us understand the heart of God quite clearly as a church sending. I mean, think about that. Sending is at the very heart of God. It's at the very heart of the gospel. God gave of himself. God sends his own son for us on our behalf. He suffers, wasn't comfortable for him, for us. But it's a way that he loves us, suffering, sacrificing his own life so that you and I could be saved and transformed and receive grace and know God's Love. Sending is at the very heart of the gospel. And I also know this because I have seen time and time again, I've seen God, I've seen this thing that we call gaining by losing. Time and time again. I've seen it happen in church after church as we follow the blueprint and acts and we send out called and qualified leaders to, to go and plant new churches in the next place, reaching new people, advancing the gospel in a new time, in a new age. I've seen how sending churches are blessed and strengthened as they send. I've seen how new late leaders get raised up in sending churches. People that if we'd never sent would never have the opportunity to become leaders. New leaders get raised up because we sinned. I've seen how the sadness of gospel goodbyes is replaced by the joy of new friendships in the church. In fact, if you've been with us from the beginning, you know that our story Really didn't begin in Round Rock. How many of you were with us when we started this thing in 2011, 2012? Very few of you. Yeah, Miss Roberto was. I think you were the Miss Roberto. Were you the first person we baptized? I think you might have been, which is amazing. It's incredible. Yep, yep. Um, You know, our story didn't really begin here. If you were with us, our story actually began in Lubbock in 2008, where Josh and I got to be a part of helping plant a church in Lubbock, Redeemer Lubbock, a church that also had a vision to send and to multiply. Help Somebody help me with math, 2008 to 2022. How many years is that? In 14 years. I've got, i want want to show you this graphic, this other graphic. In 14 years, I want you to see how many places and how many communities and how many people have been impacted by the transforming grace of Jesus because one church said, we're going to be a multiplying church. Would you look at this? 25 churches planted in 14 years across texas and beyond into utah into oklahoma into new mexico you can see our little branch down there at the bottom the one we showed you earlier starting with number four do you see that that's kind of been our our branch of that multiplication and i want you to think about this thought this is a really cool thought if let's say one of these churches decided hey we're going to do our history we're going to go ancestry.com on our church and we're going to we're going to trace our lineage here's what's really cool you could start with any of these numbers down here, 18. You could start with us, number four. You could start with Redeemer uh, Huddo over here, uh, 24, and you could trace back. Okay, so they were sent out by Redeemer Round Rock, and then Redeemer Round Rock was sent out in 2011 by Redeemer Lubbock that was started in 2008, and you could keep going. You could say, and Redeemer Lubbock was sent out by South Crest Baptist in Lubbock in 2008, and they gave leaders and money to start that new work in Lubbock to reach college students and young adults. And you could keep going. And you could say, and South Crest Baptist was started in 1970-whatever by First Baptist Lubbock as a way to reach people on this far, this growing end of town, because First Baptist Lubbock is in downtown Lubbock. And you could keep going. And maybe some of, you, some of you history nerds, this would be a good project for you if you wanted to do this for us. You could keep going. Somebody started, somebody started First Baptist Club. It was probably when Texas was getting settled for the first time. And they sent. And they gave missionaries. And they're like, hey, there might be something out there in West Texas. We don't know. But good luck. Go find it. And they, and they sent money and resources and people. And they gave of themselves. And they started that church. And you could keep going and keep going and keep going. And you know where you would land? Right here in Acts. That's where you would land. You would, you would go, and then the church in Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, and then you'd go backwards, and you go, and the, and the church in here, and here, back to the church in Jerusalem, to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. That's where you would land. Do you see that? Isn't that beautiful? That's what we get to be a part of. What God is continuing to do through the risen Jesus in this world to the ends of the earth. What a cool thing that we get to be a part of. What grace. Man, there's nothing else in the world that is more satisfying, I promise you, to give your time, to give your life, to give your gifts, to give your money to than what God is doing in the world until the day that he comes again. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your extravagant grace. But you don't ask us to earn our way back to you. All you do is ask us to acknowledge that we are broken people in need of redemption. And you save us by grace through faith. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that the work is finished. And thank you, God, that not only do you want to save us, but you want to use us. You've you've redeemed us, Lord, and you've called us into your mission. So whether we work a corporate job or we stay at home with kids or we're in school, whatever it might be, God, you want to use us in your mission in the world. Thank you for that. Thank you that we get to be a very small part of what you're doing all across this globe. That we get to plant churches. We get to take the gospel to our neighbors and to our coworkers. We get to be a part of sending people to take the gospel to the next town and the next city and the next place, far and near. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, help us to be faithful to your mission. Help us to love our city and help us to send. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.